0: Woo-hoo. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is episode 255. Second to the last week of the quarter for me and for most of us. So I hope you're out there uh, grinding in some deals. I will definitely have my fingers crossed for the next eight days uh, trying to to land some last ones. So um, really excited that you're here. This is the podcast where we help young salespeople with their career journeys. Got a great episode for you. I'm doing a throwback this week to One of the most downloaded episodes uh, of all time uh, with Kyle Coleman, who's a VP over at Clary um, and he started at Looker, which was acquired by Google. He was their sixth employee, helped build their sales and sales, sales development function, went over to Clary, helped build it there and has just amazing talk track around how to be successful as an SDR. Uh, about how you're more than, quote-unquote, just an SDR, if that's your mentality. And I love the approach that he takes uh, to the mentality of being an SDR, but then also some of the tactical tips that he gives at the end of this episode. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Before we get to it, um, a real quick note from our sponsor, Postal.io, the OGs that sponsor this podcast. Uh, Postal helps you to create a more meaningful experience with your customers and prospects, uh, through gifts and not just like a Starbucks gift card, but something from the local florist or brewery or uh, somewhere that is really going to help make an impact uh, with them and, and help create partnerships. I was talking to a buddy today who's in sales and saying, man, I wish I, wish I could take some of these end of quarter prospects out for a, a steak dinner uh, or something or a drink or a coffee this week to help close the deal and help kind of build that extra rapport. Uh, we have to do it digitally nowadays. And so postal.io is a great way to do it. So go and check those folks out to help support this show. Um, You can also support by giving a follow on LinkedIn. I'm Tom Malamo there. Um, And then just subscribing and reviewing this on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. I'm all over the place on social. You can find me if you want to learn more. Uh, Without further ado, let's get straight into my conversation with Kyle Coleman. Let's go. all right kyle coleman good morning welcome to millennial sales how you doing this morning man i'm
1: doing very well how are you tom
0: i'm doing great i'm excited to have you on the show and uh, and ready to get into it uh where i wanted to start was you know i saw a a post of yours on linkedin a few weeks ago that was this kind of like graph that you made of or a chart of of your career path that i found super interesting and uh, a lot of folks probably know you from clary or looker but you had the the beginning of your career, it looked like as you know, somewhere in personal finance, then dipped into poker, um, and then I think you are at an ad agency and, and did all of that before you got into sales. So I'd love for, to just start there and learn a little bit more about what that background was like for you.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So I, I think it's important for especially younger folks or people who are earlier in their careers or just made a switch to tech or something like that, to understand that career growth is not a ladder that goes straight up and down career growth. And from my perspective and from what I've seen in the hundreds of people that I've worked with over the years is much more similar to a rock climbing wall where you need to move laterally and you need to sometimes take a little baby step up or sometimes even a little step down until you find the firm enough foothold that you can climb up and ascend. And so that is what the early part of my career really was. I think Tom was kind of just, exploring areas of experience that I thought would be interesting to me that I thought would develop a skill set of mine. And so I out of college, as you mentioned, I I was a financial advisor for Edward Jones and got really solid sales training, you know, flew out to St. Louis and was there for two weeks and got just completely inundated with all the sales tactics I could ever need. And then went out and did door to door selling like in the heart of the Great Recession in 2010. Going door- to door as a 21 year old and trying to sell financial uh, sort of things, <laughs> vehicles was not the best uh, decision at the time. It didn't go particularly well. I had fun. like I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed meeting people and talking to them, but man, it was it was pretty tough. So from there, I ventured out a little bit on my own. As you mentioned, I, I dabbled in online poker for a little while. One of my college buddies was, was doing pretty well and I thought, hey, maybe that's something I could do too. And In the meantime, I was also learning how to do web design and early on in the kind of world of podcasts and so learning how to produce podcasts and doing that sort of thing. So This was in 2011, 2012, somewhere in there. I then moved over and ran marketing for a US Senate campaign. So again, just looking for, you know, I studied marketing in college, so I thought it would be a better fit and just looking for experiences that I thought would be interesting. And I was like, hey, you know, this world of politics, this world of marketing, this may be interesting. A lot of it was fundraising too. So it was a lot of cold calling, which again, I was trained for. And then that was when I, I moved over to the advertising agency in San Francisco. And this is where things started to really sort of crystallize for me. I was a middleman between an internal creative agency and external clients and had to translate the business needs of the clients to the less traditional (laughs) sorts of ways that creative people think about their work and deliver work. And so being that kind of middle person set me up really nicely to move into an SDR role, which is uh, obviously right between sales and marketing. And so understanding what matters to marketing, understanding what matters to sales and being kind of that translator and and being pretty well versed in both languages was really what I enjoyed doing, and so that, that's a lot of words there, Tom. Any yeah. uh, anything you want to dig into there?
0: Yeah, so I'm curious. You know, you had a a tough. I w- maybe it wasn't a negative experience, but a tough experience uh, in your first sales job um, at Edward Jones, just going door to door. Even in a good financial time, is is a tough <laughs> thing to do. But but when you're going through a recession, um, so was that not did that not dissuade you from then you bounced around you're in marketing and you're working for the senate and then you're kind of in this middleman role like did that not dissuade you from then going back into a sales role when you eventually went over to Looker
1: No it didn't and the reason for it is because I enjoyed the conversations you know I was never afraid to talk to people and I always felt like you know they might be annoyed when they hear a knock on the door but it's easy enough to disarm them. And the challenge is kind of fun to get over that immediate hurdle and, and just talk to them as a person. The reason that I moved out of the industry was more because of the industry, kind of disillusioned with how the best financial advisors make money. And it's not always super um, above board, let's say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I didn't, you know, I. And I'm not saying that that's how everybody was uh, where I where I worked. In fact, most of them were not. I just didn't. It just didn't feel like the right fit for me. And so I thought I yeah. owed it to myself earlier, in, early in my career, to not get super married to a particular path, but instead try and try my hand at a few different things to just build a more robust skill set. And and ultimately, it, it translated pretty well once I found again that firm enough foothold at the the SaaS startup in that SDR role. And all of the experiences that I had built to that point, the sales training, the web development, the, uh, as I said, that the translating between two different languages, the mediation, the conflict resolution, like all of that sort of thing helped a ton in my role as an SDR. And so what I try and tell people all the time is that don't take these early years for granted or, you know, these first few years for granted after you graduate or when you move into a new industry or whatever it is pay really close attention to the skill set that you are developing because I promise it's there. And if you can figure out how to apply that skill set in your current and future roles, that's what growth is. I know a lot of people feel like they, they, they feel stalled in an SDR role, let's say, or even in a sales role sometimes because they're not getting promoted. And that to me is not the right way to think about it. The right way to think about it is, what, am I, what experiences do I not feel like I'm getting in this role and how can I get them? There's, if you're doing well in a sales role or SDR role, you're, you know, you're hitting quota, you're, you're pretty efficient in your process, then you earn the right to branch out and take on side projects and learn something new and challenge yourself. And, and so if you can continually do that, you're building that skill set that allows you, you know, that firm enough foundation for you to, to build upon and, and really be an impactful person at any company you go to.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but you're building the skill set. Let's say you're you're an SDR, you're you're building so many skills that you're gonna use for the rest of your career too, whether it's in sales or not. You know, the the ability to cold call people, the messaging, get over that fear of interacting with people, you know, be disciplined, time management, all the different things that you learn in sales is why I recommend next like sales isn't right for everyone. It's maybe not the right career path, but it's not a bad idea for if you're not sure what to do to poke your foot into some form of sales because i feel personally i feel like you learn so much about yourself and develop some skills that you can use in a lot of different capacities that way
1: totally agree the mindset you develop is you can use it anywhere it's all about dealing with rejection, dealing with failure and figuring out how to pick yourself back up and, and go back at it. And then a, a smaller example of this is you mentioned messaging and a lot of people overlook this. And if you are in an SDR or sales role now, write your own emails, because this skill set that you develop as you're writing, it translates everywhere. It, it's so funny. I, I see people that are in manager roles or director roles or even VP level roles, and they send internal communication. So an internal email. And they're like, why is nobody responding to this? I'm like, because it reads terribly. It's formatted terribly. Like, I can't digest it. It's not readable. If you had to send an outbound email, would you have written it like that? There's no way. And so think about what you're doing right now in in your your SDR sales role. And even things as as it may seem as small as formatting an email properly, making it readable and digestible and, and communicating complex thoughts in a simple, coherent, cohesive sort of way, that translates everywhere. So yeah, totally right. The things that you're doing now is not just in service of your quota. it's in service of the long term trajectory that you you have as you know somebody who will hopefully have a long career in in either SaaS or sales or, or somewhere in between.
0: Yeah. and and when you to, to take it a step back, so when you went over to look or you had you know three or four of these different experiences before that, what what was the time period? Do you remember about how old were you or how long you've been working before you finally landed in there at, at Looker?
1: I graduated college in twenty ten, and I started at Looker in t- March of twenty thirteen. So I was twenty three.
0: Okay, um, so like a three year period between graduating and and heading over there. So that's right. The, with the point I'm making of of being like you know trying to for a lot of folks that I meet that are you know new to a company or new to a job. And they put a lot of pressure on themselves that this has to be the right one. You know, the first thing you do has to be the thing that you're going to do forever. And it's just, it doesn't really work out that way for a lot of people. Um, You know, sometimes it does. Your first job, you you stay there 25 years and you love it. That's great. But for a lot of people, it does take time and effort and trying different things and that you probably wouldn't have been as good of an SDR at looker if you didn't have those other experiences. So, um, and it makes you a more interesting person (laughs) truthfully that you had, you've done all those different things too.
1: Totally. Yeah. And and I think the, if this is you, if this sounds like you and you have either made a few stops uh, on your way to finding what's right for you, or you're considering doing it, don't worry about it, what the perspective is from a hiring manager standpoint. You know, if they're the type of hiring manager that looks at your resume and is like, oh, this person's already had three jobs and they're four years out of college, like that's probably not somebody you want to work for anyway. The important point is that you have the right story and you really think about what you've done in those previous three roles or a couple of years or whatever it is that's prepared you for what you're trying to do next and infuse your resume, your cover letter, your LinkedIn, your correspondence with hiring managers, with whomever it is you're speaking with, with those insights about this path that you're on and why it makes you unique, why it makes you uh, somebody who's really irreplaceable and, and somebody who can add a different type of value to the role. And that's, that's what I did certainly at Looker and that's what I saw in so many people that I've, that I've hired over the years is the non-traditional quote unquote type profile is awesome. I, I love yeah. bringing on, you know, and we we're sort of forced to at Looker having uh, built a company in Santa Cruz, California, which is a little bit of a, yeah. a strange town. It's the surf capital of the US and doesn't have, you know, the steady stream of pipeline from Stanford and Berkeley and the rest, uh, you know, those universities that um, that the Bay Area has. And so we had to be pretty open-minded about who it was that we brought on. So we had philosophy majors and English majors and uh, used car salesmen and Nordstrom salespeople and former radio hosts and MTV producers and like all sorts of walks of life. And it brought a really just a different approach to SDR, a different approach to selling. And then all of those people found unique paths for them. I think maybe a third or 40% of them moved into sales of the 40 people that we graduated out of SDR, but the remainder didn't. They went to marketing operations or alliances or engineering support, uh, customer success, all over the place. And so the key phrase here that I, I think is useful for, for people is it's, it's awesome if you find a company that resonates with you, that you, you love the product, you love the culture, that's great. But if you feel like you've hit a, a sort of a wall with respect to the role you're in at that company, You don't feel like you have to leave the the goal here and the phrase that's useful is to reinvent yourself within the company and if you can figure out the right way to reinvent yourself by getting exposure to different people or different teams or different processes or whatever it is and then again translating your skill set to that team to that new role that's how you reinvent yourself and that's how you have a sustained career inside of a company and i think that's a really useful perspective for for younger folks to keep in mind
0: for sure and and I think part of it too is being able to choose the right company, right? You mentioned like based on, you know, the product speaks to you, the culture, um, you know, all the different factors that might weigh in on on why you choose a company. Uh, you came in so early at Looker and you were so early in your career that I don't know if that was partially luck or, you know, you <laughs> saw something or you knew someone and you had this gut feeling, but going from there and you were there for a number of years and Obviously, they had a, a massive acquisition by Google. You had a great career there. Um, and then heading over to Clary, who's another just tremendously hot startup that you're hearing a lot about. And it seems like the product's great and the culture's great. So are there, are there similarities between the two that you looked for? Um, was, was it a different process at different points in your career? Like, how, how have you nailed down what companies were right for you uh, if someone's searching right now.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Tom. I, I would be completely lying if I told you that Looker was anything but luck. Like, yes, unbelievably lucky. Now, I did ha- I did vet the people that were there, and there were only five of them, so it was <laughs> relatively yeah, easy. easy. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew the, the person who recruited me. I, I knew him decently well from my days at the agency. We had sort of worked together a little bit on the client and, and um, agency side, so I knew him pretty well, trusted him. But really, like when I started at Looker, it was, I had very little to lose. You know, I was making $45,000 a year at an advertising agency in San Francisco, like barely making rent. So it wasn't wasn't like I I had a, you know, I had a really long way to fall. Um, But I was super interested in the technology. The founder, when I spoke with him, was very inspirational in the way that he communicated about the product, thought about the product. Uh, The track record that the founders had was incredible, like I can't even, I mean, I was the least qualified person there by a million miles. It was not close. Uh, So just being kind of punching above my weight class and being like, man, if I can associate myself with these people, I feel like this is a step in the right direction, regardless of the trajectory of the company, which, you know, who knows, any seed funded company, it's, it's a shot in the dark. But what I did learn over the years is about how to vet, especially culture and leadership. And the two are very tightly intertwined. And I think that, you know, it sounds super obvious, but the leadership really does set the culture. You know, you can have a culture that is, that, that attempts to be bottoms up and you can have the individual contributors uh, at the company working really well together, supporting each other, being, you know, creating an awesome culture. But if the leadership doesn't embody that culture, it kind of dies. It, it doesn't, it can't sustain. And so that was really what I was looking for when I was evaluating Clary. And I was lucky enough to get uh, some time with our CEO and CMO and CFO, CRO. So I got out the whole C-suite for the most part. And I, I got a really good understanding of what they held dear from a cultural standpoint. And I, I thought that each of them expressed in kind of the similar sentiments in different ways, but it was basically one of a culture of trust. We hire people to do their jobs. We're not gonna micromanage them. We're gonna inspire them however we can to, to pull out the best in them. But it, really, we're hiring you because we trust you. And I know it sounds very simple, but that is a really difficult thing to find. And it's especially a difficult thing to sustain as you scale. And so it's really important then for all of your people to understand that they are trusted to do their work. You know, it's, it's not necessarily accountability, it's responsibility to yourself. And there's a big difference there. So you have to hire people that are motivated, passionate, curious, Uh, tenacious that have that fire burning that want to win Um, and it's not necessarily to to be competitive against one another but it's to win as a company as a collective and so and every manager every director every vp has to have that similar sort of mindset to say you know i you know i'm in a a vp role now i haven't been an individual sdr for seven years i don't know the best way to be an sdr these days i can help bad ideas around but who am i to go and tell one of our senior sdrs how to do her job it's crazy so yeah. like, if leadership has that mindset and understands that we can help create the processes, the, the frameworks, we can help create some guardrails, we can set some context, we can communicate strategy, like those sorts of things, but we have to ultimately trust the people to take care of business. That's the kind of culture that I really, really love and would really strongly vetted at, at Clary and, and so far so good a year and a half in.
0: That's great. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, actually reading the book Shoe Dog right now, and nice. uh, one of the one of the quotes that keeps coming up that that Phil Knight says is, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but around, uh, you know, tell people what you want done, but but let you know, don't tell them how to do it. Yes, right. It's like here's the goal that we want to get. You know, revenue goal, meeting goal, whatever. Let's all figure it out. You know, one person might do it this way, another person might do it another way, and it's different to their individual style and kind of gives it gives you as an SDR who's early probably early on in their career and their sales career uh, some ownership and some creativity and it, it feels good to take that on and I've always felt like throughout my career um, that when I'm given more responsibility than I think maybe even I deserve at the time I kind of rise to the occasion though you know I, I step up and it's like wow I, you know this is this is some responsibility like I want to take advantage of this and so versus being told what to do and you feel like you're someone just, you know, at a production line, like copy, paste, copy, paste. So I think being able to take the ownership there, you know, helps to up level yourself as well.
1: Uh, It's very well said, Tom. And I I think, the way that I think about this is the copy paste example is perfect because what a lot of SDRs or SDR teams will do is say, oh, I need to reach out to the CMO who has a template to reach out to a CMO, copy, paste, send. And then there's no, they don't feel any sort of innate responsibility about getting an open, getting a response from that CMO because you know it's not my template. You know, I didn't, I didn't write it, hands up, not me. And, and that's not the way to improve as a person. As a, as, a, as a salesperson in particular. So take the time to think. And I, I don't mean that you have to come up with everything, every concept completely on your own. But when you read Shoe Dog, when you read Spin Selling, Challenger Sale, whatever it is, think about those things that you're learning and actually apply them. Like there are so many people that will just scroll through LinkedIn, read the tips that they see and be like, oh, that sounds cool. And then completely forget about it. But the best people, the people that are really controlling their own destiny are the ones who read the advice, think critically about it, don't take it all at face value and think about how they can tease out the concepts, apply their own style and incorporate it into their own process. And if you can continually do that and really take that responsibility, that onus on yourself to find results, that is how you will be successful in pretty much any role, but particularly I think in a sales role.
0: And like, for example, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you, you've got us in your headphones or you're watching on YouTube, whatever it is, write down just one thing Kyle says, you know, you don't have to absorb the whole thing and try to follow everything that he's done and, and you know, blindly follow everything that he's saying. But take one thing that resonates with you or one thing that maybe challenges the way that you've been thinking or, or doing, write it down and try to incorporate it into your week and see if it works or maybe it, you know A-B test it compared to what you've been doing um and see if that is something that can be useful and then you do that for you know one of the linkedin posts you see or a book that you read and being able to just take that and try to take at least one thing from everything you're consuming versus just mindlessly scrolling which i think all of us are guilty of from time to time i think is a is a game changer for learning um in in a new environment where there's just so much content out
1: there i couldn't agree more and as soon as you realize that you know, I made this, I had this realization pretty early on. And I've sort of, I've tried to help the folks that I work with have this realization, your manager, your director, your VP, your your C-suite person does not have all the answers. And more often than not, they're shooting from the hip. And their shots from the hip are typically good, because they have confidence in themselves, they have experience, but they don't have all the answers, and neither will you. And so you have to try stuff, and you have to be willing to fail. Now, importantly, You want to structure the things that you do so that they're experiments that have hypotheses and that you can learn from and that you don't make the same mistake over and over and over again however just know that no one has all the answers no one will ever be able to tell you exactly how to do your job and so the sooner you get comfortable just trying stuff and adjusting and dealing with rejection dealing with failure as we've said here a couple times you will start to see the results come in you'll start to feel more growth, you'll start to feel more challenged, it'll start to be way more rewarding, because you're going to take more and more responsibility on yourself.
0: Yeah. And, and in the spirit of making this tactical, and I want to get into the life of an SDR a little bit, because um, I know you, you've been a practitioner successfully, you've been leading teams successfully. So what's, what's a mistake that you see uh, SDRs make generally, or one of the biggest mistakes that you see?
1: I think a lot of SDR teams, so individuals or teams?
0: Um, however you wanna take it, maybe both.
1: <laughs> so I'll start with teams uh, in case okay. there are any kind of SDR leaders or sales leaders out there listening. Mm-hmm. The, I think the big mistake that teams make these days is still prizing quantity over quality. I think that's a huge, huge step in the wrong direction for where we are in 2020. We have so many more tools at our disposal, intent signals and research capabilities. And we just have so much more information about people that expecting a quantitative or numbers-based top of funnel motion to yield the best results and to develop your team the way that it needs to develop is a huge mistake. So if you're a sales leader out there and you're browbeating your SDRs to make 100 calls a day mindlessly just to pick up the phone and dial, rethink that. Really think about what you're trying to do, how you're trying to develop them, what their growth paths are gonna be, and and try and adjust your process accordingly to incorporate more thought, incorporate more strategy, incorporate more of a qualitative component so that it really is more quality over quantity. Um, So that's sales leaders and I'll step off my soapbox here for a moment. Individual SDRs. I think, so there's, there's a lot of mindset things we could get into now, but in the spirit of saying more tactical, and I've mentioned this before, but I, I really want to hammer this home, write your own emails. And mm-hmm. sometimes there will be pre-existing sequences for personas or cadences for personas that you can use, and that's totally fine. But for the highest value accounts and the highest value prospects within those accounts, go out of your way to do the research and write the email. And the way that I think about email writing, and you may have heard me say this before, Tom, is this five by five by five principle. And this is an aspirational principle. It takes time. Like building any other muscle, it takes time. You can't just go into the gym and bench press 300 pounds on day one. You have to work your way up there. And and this five by five by five is the same way. So if you start and it takes a little bit more time, that is fine. But just try and be intentional about it. Literally time yourself and this will make sense when I explain it time yourself and try and improve on this. So what it is, is taking five minutes to find five pieces of information about somebody and then spending five minutes writing the email. So it's 10 minutes total to research and write. And the really nice thing about this is that if you're spending five minutes and you're getting five pieces of information, this means you only need to do the research once because here's the other mistake that SDRs make is they'll do all this research and they'll say, I have five pieces of information and I want to get them all out in the one email. And then they'll have like, I saw you went to school here and you grew up here and you're into this and you like to run and you have a corgi. And I'm like, yes, all of those things are true, but like relax. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the best way to do it and sort of the the metaphor that I like is if you are um, shooting a bow and arrow and you try and load up all five arrows at once and you shoot them, you're not increasing your chances of hitting the bullseye if you do that. But if you do them one at a time, and you learn and you adapt and you adjust, that is how you maximize your chances at at hitting the bullseye. So each one of those pieces of, of research is an arrow in your quiver. And you want to drip them out over time, because guess what, people very likely are not going to respond to the first email you send them. Sorry, their email inboxes, LinkedIn inboxes are completely inundated. So five minutes of research to find five key insights, and then five minutes of writing. Like I said, when you start, it'll probably be closer to like 15, five, and 15, and that's okay. But seriously, like literally get a stopwatch on your phone or whatever it is and time how long it takes. And this is how you improve. You improve by measuring yourself. You improve with intent. And if you can get this cadence down, you're gonna be in really, really good shape. So that is my high level tactical advice for people.
0: I love that. And do you, when you talk about the five things that they're researching, is that all individual? Is that at the organization, combination?
1: It's a combination. And so you'll find, depending, you know, we sell to salespeople at Clary. So our lives are made much easier by the fact that salespeople are pretty open about themselves. Yeah. But yeah. They're, you know, I've, I've sold to data uh, personas, more technical personas, CIOs, all, all those sorts of things. And this applies just as well. So um, for example, actually, our one of our SDRs, actually our director of SDR, uh, his name is Alex, And he wanted to get a little, you know, he wanted to get in the weeds with the team and then help them out. And he wrote one of these personalized emails to the CEO of IBM, the CEO of IBM, who on their LinkedIn says that they're a fan of wild ducks. Just something that he says in his about section. He likes wild ducks. And so what Alex did is he he wrote an email that was the intro was about research he did on wild ducks, just calling out a few ones, saying, I really like the colors on this one. And then importantly. the transition, and again, now we're back into territory where um, a lot of sellers and, and SDRs go wrong here, is the transition from your research to your value prop needs to be pretty seamless. And so what the mistake I see a lot of people make is, hey, I saw that you're into wild ducks. Anyway, here's the thing about Clary. And it right, yeah. is so, it's so salesy, it's so clunky. And so instead, uh, Alex said something to the effect, it doesn't have to be like the most artful, elegant thing. He said something to the effect of, you know, much like the high flying ducks that you like, Clary helps your sales team fly high with pipeline visibility, deal execution, forecasting, all that sort of thing. And just made a really quick and simple segue into Clary's value prop that was like, kind of cute, kind of nice. Yeah. But doesn't yeah. seem as like, aggra- doesn't seem as salesy and it, it takes a little bit of extra thought. And so that's the next level of personalization. And um, the CEO of IBM forwards that along to their uh, SVP of sales and we get a meeting with IBM. And like, that's mm. how this stuff happens. So really focus on doing the research, it can be about the person, it can be about the account, it can be about, uh, you know, something that their CEO said in a press release, it can be whatever you want. Um, If you find, and what a lot of our reps do is they'll have kind of five or seven things that they're looking for, because they know they can write a good email about a sports interest they have, or where they went to school, or the growth of their sales team year over year, which you can find on LinkedIn sales navigator. Um, If you can have like categories of those things, that's how you can make this scale because you don't have to write the same or the, the, uh, you shouldn't write the same email multiple times. There's no shame at all in having little snippets that you can use for your segues. So if you find, you know, you write a good email about a person who likes basketball or whatever, and you write a good segue about basketball, save that somewhere we have a little yeah. glossary of all these kind of the triggers and then the segues. And so our team is constantly borrowing from each other and, and building upon this, this glossary and, and reusing each other's work so that this methodology can scale because that's, it's a hard thing to scale. It takes time to do, obviously um, the more and more practice, the better and better you get.
0: And and maybe like a sub lesson from that story too, that you just told about the, the SDR directors is to shoot your shot. You know, yeah. the, the CEO of, you know, IBM, um, you know, doesn't have a lot of time for looking at random sales emails and and probably gets blasted with hundreds and thousands every single week. Um, and you got the response or you got the forward from the, to the SVP of sales and got the meeting. So, uh, for everyone that is maybe a little intimidated to pick up the phone and call a C-suite executive or to email the CEO or CMO or whomever your stakeholder is, um, they look at emails. I saw, I saw a tweet from, uh, Jason Lemkin from saster and he was he like put this post out and it was it was talking about um you know all these ceos that were tweeting about like checking email it's like hey you know billion dollar ceos check their email like they do so they might not respond they might forward it to someone but it's worth your shot if you if you have a good email and you have a good message to send and you can help add value to them somehow
1: and that's exactly right they're they're just people on the other end, uh, on the other end of the phone, receiving the email. And the sooner you realize that, I know this is something I did not understand when I started in SaaS sales. I was like, ooh, I have to call a CTO. I need to know, Everything about their company. I need to know everything about my product. And I was super intimidated, and it led to a lot of call reluctance and ultimately me just not calling at all. And so, if the bar, if you feel like the bar has to be that high for what you do, you're not going to be successful. You do not need to have all the answers. You need to ask the right questions. And that framework or that mindset is very, very different. So, if you can think about the right questions to ask, then all you need to do is understand generally. The pain points of a CTO, and digging in and asking questions, discovery, not qualification. Discovery questions about that person and what they're trying to do, what's blocking them, what their goals are, and that's a really nice way to think about things. But again, it's just a person on the other end of the phone. Actually, I remember one of our one of our SDRs at Clary was experiencing something similar, where they're like, "Oh man, you know, I'm 22, I just graduated, and I need to now call into C-suite execs who have been." doing sales longer than I've been alive. Like this is, yeah. this feels a little weird. And yeah, it feels a little weird. But what you realized was she talked to our VP of go to market internally at Clary at over the lunch table. And he was talking about how he is a fan of The Bachelor, like watching The Bachelor. And she was like, yeah. wait, you're the VP of go to market at this company. And you watch The Bachelor? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm just a guy. I'm just, I watch it with my wife and my buddies. And it's like, they're just people. Everybody is just a person. So just don 't be afraid and just talk to them like you would talk to. you know Keep it professional, but it doesn 't have to be overly buttoned up or formal and, and That kind of mindset about you just genuinely wanting to have a conversation if you want to talk to them, they can tell, and the inverse is true too if you don 't want to talk to them, they can tell, and that's that 's how you keep losing over and over is you lack confidence you, 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 you don 't show them that you 're interested in them, and you need to bring that energy to the emails you write, to the phone calls you have, to the video messages you send, because that's what people respond to.
0: And, and to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. So that SDR that you just mentioned, she, you, you mentioned it was across the lunch table. Was this just like an overall all hands lunch or did she specifically take the head of go to market and say, Hey, I want to learn about this and I want to pick your brain and, and talk to you for 30 minutes or am yeah, I giving I- too much credit?
1: Again, just a cool thing about Clarity's yeah. culture is that it's very egalitarian. And so when we were all in the office together pre-COVID, there was a lunchroom that people just sat at the tables together. You know, it doesn't matter what yeah. role you're in, what seniority you have, yeah. people just people just ate and just chatted. It was cool.
0: Yeah. Well, that's another piece too. It's a great piece of the culture, but it's a great, uh, I think, note for an SDR or a salesperson, especially if you're tapping into a new industry or a new buyer than you're used to is... Go find that person at your company and go talk to them. Go buy them lunch or coffee or, you know, a, a drink after work, if you, assuming you were in an office or, or grab a Zoom and try to understand, you know, one, you get to know them as a person. And I think that helps to break it down, but get to understand what does your CTO care about? Your head of go to market, your VP of sales, what, what is something that, you know, is really bothering them or what are the opportunities that they're driving towards? And that just kind of help, helps to, clarify the value that you can potentially add to someone.
1: I totally agree. And, and that's another good piece of tactical advice. Pretty much regardless of the product you're selling or the personas you're selling to, you almost definitely have that persona internally at the company that you work for. Go talk to them. Ask them questions about their day-to-day. Understand their pains. Understand how they use your product internally, which hopefully they do. And that is how you you demonstrate this curiosity. Again, take it upon yourself to be responsible to learn. If all you do is wait for product marketing to deliver you a battle card about personas, you are not doing enough to really understand it and to really learn. Having a conversation with a CFO is way different than reading a battle card about what a CFO cares about. So go and talk to them. They like hearing from you. I like hearing from people at my company. I like talking to them about what I do and, and how I can help them, how they can help me. Like, it's fun. So don't be intimidated. If you're intimidated to go talk internally to the people that you're supposed to be selling to, how on earth are you going to have the confidence to go and, and speak externally to your prospects? I think that's, that's great advice, Tom.
0: For sure. For sure. So I, I want to take it a little bit back to, um, you know, the early days at Looker, Right, you you came in. I think you were employee number six, first person in in sales or marketing. Is that right? Yep,
1: yeah, that's right. Number six. Uh,
0: um, so you're coming in super early, and you know, at, per your words, not mine. Very you know the least qualified person there. Um, and so I, I want to just explore. You know, at, at one point I think you were leading the team after you know a few years of of sixty is it sixty or so uh, salespeople that I heard. So. Like, how did you get from A to B? Like, what was your mindset coming into that job? You you didn't have that much sales experience. You didn't have that much successful sales experience. So, can you just can we talk about whether it was tactically or a mindset or just what you did to get from point A to point B there? Because it's it's just this really impressive uh, uh, track that you had.
1: Yeah, I um, a lot of this is in retrospect, so I I, I cannot say that I was thinking this way when I was. Making these decisions because I'm the way that I think about my own personal career growth and even what I'm going to do next, whatever that is, is it's going to be opportunistic. Like I have a short term, intermediate term plan. I do not have a five or 10 or 20 year plan. I, I've just never been the type of person who thinks that way. So I, I like to have a, a wider or build a broader, wider skill set and then you apply that skill set to the opportunity that presents itself. And the opportunity that presented itself to me was kind of a divergent path of moving into a closing role as an accounting exec, or moving into a managerial role in SDR land. And the question that I had to ask myself then was, not necessarily which is gonna be better for my career, because I did not think that way. But rather, which of these is gonna lead to experiences that I enjoy more? Which am I gonna find more rewarding? Which aligns best to what is intrinsically motivating to me? And I, grav- I gravitated toward the management path because I found that I got way more fulfillment out of helping other people succeed than in my own personal success. And I don't mean to disparage individual salespeople because a lot of salespeople feel similarly about how they can help prospects, how they can help clients. But I felt like it was immediately gratifying to be able to work with and help shape and mold younger people because that's you know typically the profile of, of the SDRs is going to be either new to the industry or new to work in general. And I I really enjoyed that training, onboarding, career growth sort of thing. Now, at the same time, something I've also really enjoyed over my years of, of work and of school and everything is creating processes, building processes and scaling them, finding the most efficient and effective way of doing something and making it last and scaling it and helping it evolve along the way. And SDR is just such a perfect place to, to do this, to create scalable processes that are constantly changing, constantly evolving. And so that was another thing, like more at a tactical level that was really interesting to me. It was like, how can we accelerate this company's growth with SDR? And, and so now that's why I'm such a huge believer in outbound SDR work because I've seen it work. And, and so the combination of those two things, building and scaling process and really wanting to help People grow, help people succeed. That is why I initially gravitated toward a managerial path in the first place. The reason that I ascended the ranks is because it's always been about team performance. It's never been about me. When I was promoted into a director role, it legitimately surprised me. I I, it wasn't something I was angling for, it wasn't something I was working for. Our CMO pulled me into a room and was like, hey, we want to give you this promotion because the team is so successful, we feel like you deserve it, they deserve it. Like, let's go, let's figure out how to build this thing and keep it scaling. I was like, whoa, that's cool. And so I learned pretty, pretty early that if you focus on enabling, empowering and helping other people, their success is your success. And if you get that flipped and as a leader, as a manager, you, you think about yourself and your reputation and what you are doing, what you're making happen, that is not sustainable. That's not going to create the type of culture that people like to work for. It's not going to keep uh, create the type of leader that people want to promote. And so, just having that mindset and and it just being kind of core to who I am was, I think, pretty helpful for me to to ascend the uh, the ranks at Looker.
0: And I think a, a, another piece there too is you know when you're talking about building processes and and in helping to scale the company and scale your team, you know you're talking about like how can we help the company grow. And mm-hmm. what I think is interesting maybe not enough people early in their career think about too is that you are part of a bigger picture and it's great to hit your number it's great for your team to hit your number but what separates you or can separate you and in, into being someone that the company continues to invest in is being someone that is thinking bet what's best for the company how can i get the company from 1 to 10 million 10 to 50 whatever the the next step that you're trying to get to is and it seems like that came intuitively to you fairly early um, and maybe it's because that's just part of your nature and you're, you're a team player maybe it's because you loved working there and, and you love working at Clary and, and I can tell just by the way that you promote the other folks on your team on social media and, and just your, your general aura that you care a lot about the team at Clary now so I think just being able to see the forest through the trees is something that um, has probably helped along the way too.
1: Definitely true and I would say some of it I can't take too much credit for it, Tom, because I think a lot of that broader context that you just talked about was cascaded to me from the leadership at Looker. And I think I've tried to embody that same sort of mindset and leadership roles that I've been in, which is to say, I knew what we were trying to make happen at Looker because people told me, <laughs> and yeah. as a 23 year old, new to SaaS, new to the, the business intelligence industry, new to pretty much everything. There's no way I would have been able to see the forest for the trees, uh, if not for people literally pulling me aside and talking to me about corporate strategy, about departmental strategy, about growth milestones, about SaaS metrics, about all of these things that I was curious about. Now, I will take credit for listening, for understanding, for asking questions, for being dumb when I admitting that I didn't know something and asking them to explain it again, because I didn't understand it. And you have to be shameless to a certain respect about that. There is no shame in not knowing something when you're new to something. And so you, if you can find that combination of asking and interrogating the, the people who are in charge, but also uh, taking upon yourself to go and do independent research, that's what helps a lot. As a leader, again, if any leaders are, are still listening to this after uh, I've cautioned them several times and chided them, um, I would say go out of your way to cascade that context. You are in the room that your team is not in you understand and you have relationships with cross-functional departments and peers that they do not have. And it is up to you to be the connective tissue between what the company is trying to make happen and what they are doing every day. And if you're not cascading that down every single time you talk to an individual or a team meeting or whatever it is, you're not doing your job.
0: Mm, I love that. And I want to, um, You know, as we're, we're getting close to, uh, to the end, I, I want to make sure that we can Trigger you and uh, and show some love to the SDRs. I saw you know a post a, a little while ago that that went you know viral or, or semi-viral. Yeah, you get a little triggered when an SDR just says I'm just an SDR, ah. um, and I think that that also maybe segues to what you're doing with the SDR defender. So I'd love for you to just just rant a little bit and go off on that topic a little <laughs> bit in your thoughts there.
1: Permission to rant, I love it. This is yes. great. Yes, yeah. I I'm guilty of this. Uh, myself. So if, if you're an SDR right now, and you're saying, Oh, man, I, I know I've said that before, you are not alone. However, don't say it again. If you qualify what you're doing by saying, I'm just this, I'm just a SDR, I, I you know, how am I supposed to know I'm just an SDR, you are downplaying the impact that you have on the company. And the impact that you have on the company cannot be overstated. You are getting in front of the right accounts, the right people within those accounts at the right time to accelerate the way the company grows. Without you, somebody has to pay Google a million dollars to advertise. And then some random person needs to click an ad and then two years later, they've a demo and then they turn into a customer versus You get to be the one who controls the destiny of the company. You get to be the one who goes out and writes that email that captures their attention, that piques their interest, that displays your your company's value and value prop. And there's no just about doing that. That is hard work. It's not for everybody. It takes a lot of gumption. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of dealing with rejection. And so if you downplay your role and if you downplay the impact that you have and if you qualify what you're doing and your contribution to the company by saying, oh, I'm just an SDR, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You are implementing or creating a mindset for yourself that is not helpful for you or for anybody that you work with. Take ownership of you being an SDR, take pride in the fact that you're an SDR, that you're having this impact that no one else in your company and any other role can have. And it's cool, it's empowering. And if you think about it that way, and you think about how all of the things you're doing is preparing you for a long and storied career in technology, that is the mindset that will make you successful. And so you're not just an SDR, you are an SDR, and you matter, and you're important, and stop it with the just.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love tuning you up for that. I'm ready to run through a wall right now and make some cold calls. <laughs> I might have to That's too. Awesome.
1: I'm gonna to set myself a meeting quota.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, but it it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, of that's you, um, you know, helping to empower people and, and people want, you know, need to to take the ownership there and be proud of, of their role. And man, I'll, I mean, being an S, in any form of sales, uh, but, but especially as an SDR, is a really hard job. I mean, there's anyone that says otherwise just hasn't made cold calls or hasn't, you know. or hasn't tried to sell, you know, in person to to folks, you know, door to door, whatever it might be. So it's, it's a really hard job. So, so owning that and owning the fact that you are very likely the first, you know, the first face that the the prospect gets to meet at the company, right? Especially at a startup where, you know, you're, if you're not selling for IBM, this person may never have heard of your company. So you're the first introduction to that. So you want to come correct. You want to be proud of that. You want to represent, Yourself and the company well, and uh, it's a really important job. So I love totally. that you're you have that um, that mentality and and spreading that, and, and maybe that segues a little bit into what you're doing with the SDR Defenders and some of that content and you're creating and the stance that you have there.
1: Exactly, yeah. So SDR Defenders is SDR and you can find us on LinkedIn as well. Uh, we do uh, every other week. We'll do a webinar that's helping tactically or helping people get hired or helping you tune up your resume or whatever it is to, to help individual SDRs just be better at their craft. Um, so sign up and join the newsletter and you'll get you know all that sort of thing. It's totally free as well. We're not charging anything. The goal is twofold. The goal is to help individual SDRs improve their craft, become better people, uh, become better salespeople, uh, become more effective contributors and more impactful contributors to their company. And up-leveling the role uh, and up leveling themselves. So that's goal number one. Goal number two is to change the mindset of leadership. You know, I've I've talked about that quite a bit here on this in this podcast. And it's unfortunately the case that many sales leaders still think of SDR roles as numbers on a dashboard or cogs in a machine or replaceable parts. And that is not the case. SDRs are strategic partners with account executives and they need to be treated as such. And so that's the second goal of SDR defenders is to get in front of those sales leadership, those sales leaders who perhaps are, have an older school way of thinking about the contribution of SDRs and changing their minds. And so we create, we try and create content that hits on both of those themes, helping people bottoms up and then changing the perception top down.
0: That's great. I love it. And, and before we wrap this up and, and get into uh, where else folks can find you, want to bring you into this, uh, what I'm now calling the selfish section, uh, that I just started this week where I ask one question that's going to help me personally and be love selfish. It. Um, so I am, I'm starting a new job, uh, next Tuesday after labor day, uh, new industry, uh, new company. So, um, I'd love to hear from you. Like what's one tip, how can I absolutely crush it in my first 30, 60, 90 days in the new role?
1: Be unendingly curious about every single component of the role. If there are other people doing the same role that you have, Tom, go and talk to the highest performers. Dig in to what makes them successful and why and really understand it. And we've talked about this before, but don't just take everything they say at face value and then go try and become a miniature version of them. That's not what works. What works is you talking to them teasing out what you feel like you could steal or borrow and incorporate into your own style. So go talk to the practitioners that are doing a good job. Go talk to the product managers, the engineers, the people that are building the process, the, the product and understand why. Why are they doing the things that they're doing? Why are they prioritizing the things they are? What is the roadmap and why? And if you can get a really good sense of that, then you're gonna to start to really understand the personas, which you should also be really curious about. So again, go internally and talk to the people that would be the people that you're selling to. Understand if they're using the product internally, how are they using it? Like make them give you a demo of how they use the product. Mm-hmm listen for the keywords that they use, listen for the phrases, listen for the terminology that goes outside of what you see on your company's website and incorporate that into your messaging and never stop that mindset of curiosity, mm-hmm. unendingly curious, literally block time in your week to think. And I know mm-hmm. it sounds kind of soft and I know it sounds kind of weird, but block an hour or two every week for you to just think about these concepts and ask yourself questions and go down a little brainstorming rabbit hole with yourself and tease out some new topics that you maybe lost a deal or lost a prospect or, you know, whatever, and understand why that happened and then go interrogate those questions that you just created for yourself. And if you can continually do that, that's how you'll always be learning. And that's how you'll always be evolving and you're always going to stay a step ahead.
0: Is there a time in the week that you recommend or that you do that?
1: I find that I am most productive in the morning, like banging out work in the morning. And so that uh, sort of fades a little bit in the early afternoon. So that's a perfect time to like take a little pressure off myself and just kind of think about things. I have a little whiteboard here in my office that I just literally just scribble stuff down on and it's just kind of stream of consciousness, just writing stuff down on. But at the end of each of those kind of 30 or 60 minute sessions, I have three or five questions that are really helpful guiding questions that I can go and surface with my team and talk to them about and understand who may have a perspective on this and, and how can I get an answer from this? Or I'll, I'll go cross-functionally to my CMO or uh, VP of product marketing and ask them about the category that we're in and, and why we chose to, to, to pursue this revenue operations category and, and what the messaging is. And, and so early afternoon is my kind of tip. But some people do it right as they wake up. And that's cool too. just find a time that works for you.
0: Love it. Kyle Coleman, I appreciate it, man. This is awesome. I'm glad that you were able to come on the show. And I think if any SDRs or SDR leaders or sales leaders can get a lot out of this episode or AEs, um, you know, for for some of the topics that you brought up, what's the best way to find you? I know we talked about SDRdefenders.com, but where else?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is really the only social media channel I'm active on. So Kyle Coleman on LinkedIn, pretty easy to find, uh, happily connect. And if you send me a a message on LinkedIn, I apologize in advance for not responding because my LinkedIn inbox is a disaster zone. So it might take you a couple, a couple, uh, nudges to, to get in front of me, but I will do my best to answer if you ask a thoughtful question.
0: Awesome. I appreciate it, Kyle. Um, everyone check him out send them a thoughtful request and then be patient on the response. (laughs) Uh, Appreciate you coming on, Kyle. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out that podcast. Uh, Happy July to you. Uh, Would love if you took 22 seconds and hit subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, your favorite podcast player. And be sure to check out some of my content on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm Tom Alamo And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tommy Tahoe. Have a great day. Make it legendary. Peace.